everyone. Welcome back to the Earth Dawn Survival Guide, the podcast for all disciplines, paths, players, and game masters with your questers, Josh and Dan. And Rev! We have Rev here today. I am Dan. I am Josh. And I'm Rev. And with us... (laughs) Well-oiled machine here. (laughs) And on today's podcast, we will be discussing all things safety-related. Yes, We're going to be talking a little bit about safety tools, which are something that I have referred to on the show in the past that we haven't gotten into the weeds on them very much. I talk a lot about session zero type of stuff, but there are a whole lot of other tools and we're going to get to all of them. But before we do, Rev, why don't you introduce us, uh, introduce yourself to our listeners and Talk a little bit about how, like, your connection with Earth Dawn, because there's a cool one there, I think. Yeah. So I am the host and GM of The Crit Show, which is a Monster of the Week actual play podcast. And uh, my very first RPG I played was Earth Dawn. Um, That was my way into RPGs. I started playing Earth Dawn when I was 16, I believe. And I did not play... D&D for the first time until I was well into my late 30s. So I had a very different path through RPGs than most people. What year was that when you got started? Do you remember? Yeah, it would have been 96. So you were back in the first edition days early on. Oh yeah, I still have my first edition books. They're not in great condition because the glue was all falling (laughs) apart on the the main book, but I've got it still. (laughs) Oh no, I'm I'm the hoarder as well for Earthon. I have almost everything they've they've ever released. So, yeah, I remember going when I was in college, and it was announced that they were shutting down printing. And this was, I think, before they went to was it Living Room Games or Red uh, Brick that had it first. Living Room Games Living was room? second edition. If they were talking about shutting down printing, that would have okay. been right around 1999. Yeah, so when that happened, I remember going to the gaming store and buying everything we could find that was on the shelves because we knew, like, oh, they're not going to make this anymore. So we bought a bunch of the old um, the box sets that were Parlanth and uh, Bar Set, you know, just all of the, the big maps oh, yeah, and the source you. books. And yeah. Oh, that that's treasure. That's gold. <laughs> and folks who have caught up on our feed who have been keeping up with things uh, might recognize Rev's voice because I met Rev by running him and uh, some of the fellow cast from the Crit Show, a North yeah. game a couple of years ago. All of us, when when we first started the show, the the four of us that are on at the very beginning, all of our first games were Earth Dawn. That's a cool thing. That was awesome. Yeah. That means he came to it clean. What's that? That means you came to it clean. Yes, it's true. First off, you had nothing to compare it to, so you just get to revel in its beauty uh, from from the start. It's interesting the way that it has affected me. Like, as I have played other games and other systems, that mentality that you only are as powerful as your legend and the idea that there is something out there that is truly evil. There's a whole lot of games out there where it's like, oh, what kind of player do you want to be? Do you want to be someone who's kind of the anti-hero? Do you want to be, you know, someone who who really takes advantage of people and, you know, robs the bar and all that stuff? That was never something that entered into our view of RPGs because you were only as good as your name in Earth Dawn. And so uh, I love 
having that as my base experience because that's carried into all of the games that I've run, no matter what the system. I agree. It's 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 kind of set the tone of you're expected to be legendary and act like a hero yeah. without having this cumbersome alignment to follow from D&D. And it's ruined me for every other game as well because <laughs> no other game has exploding dice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so many of them. Oh, so many. Having to print out the <laughs> dice conversion sheet and attach it to your character sheet so you understand what dice you're rolling. Yeah, yeah. That's a... That's a it's not a bug, that's a feature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the main reason that I asked you to come on the show was to talk about safety tools. Yeah. Because you did a sort of discussion online uh, that's archived on YouTube a couple of months back with a couple of folks and kind of talked about that. And I think that it's something that is important. It's become a lot more significant in terms of the discussions of gaming in general, but especially within the the indie sphere. Mm -hmm. And as more people and more diverse people get involved, these are important things that when we started back in the 90s, were not part of the conversation, were not really part of the the discussion because of the lot more homogenous white kid kind of thing Mm -hmm. that was going on at the time. But I think they're interesting and important. And I wanted to introduce them to our listeners, especially when in the context of something that is horror themed or horror adjacent, like Earthdawn is, um, like Monster of the Week is in, in a certain extent, and wanted to talk about those. So why don't you give us a, a really broad thing to start off? What are safety tools? What purpose do they serve? Yeah, so it's interesting because, you know, you talk about how we grew up playing games and you try to talk about safety tools to people kind of in our demographic and they're like, oh, I don't, I don't need something like that. And it's like, actually, you've been using safety tools your whole gaming experience. You just don't know it. The reason I say that is because for the most part in that early, early 90s, late 80s, when you were playing RPGs, you were playing them with people you knew really well. They were the people in your immediate sphere of influence, people that were relatively even physically close to you so you could get together because we weren't playing games online then like we are now. And because of that, you got to know those people. You knew the things that made your friends uncomfortable. So you just automatically wouldn't build them into the game. But now that we're playing in essentially a global scale, you can get online and find people in other countries, schedule games. You know, they're up at two in the morning, you're there at three in the afternoon, and you're all on Discord playing together. There's now this level of we don't really know each other quite as well. And so safety tools are there to make sure that everybody has a good time, which is Obviously, you know, it's why we're all here. We want to tell a story. We want to have a good time. And so safety tools cover a large number of things, ranging from phobias to areas that you may not just want to deal with. I have spent the last two years um, as a caregiver for someone who was going through cancer. And it's like, okay, so yeah, when we sit down and play an RPG, I don't think I want to deal with the plague like I, I right now I, I could I could deal with I could do without that in my fantasy setting. And so if the game master or the other players don't know those things, it's impossible for them to generate a story where everyone at the table feels relaxed and comfortable and 
no one is having, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but no one's, no one's having any lines crossed, um, which is one of the tools. Yeah. So you actually already addressed one of the other sort of early questions that I had, which <laughs> is, how do you respond to somebody who comes to you with this attitude of, oh, I don't need safety tools. Those are for weak. Those are for, you know, yeah. pansy, whatever <laughs> kind of. You know, I get it. There are players out there. There are GMs out there who I am your Lord. This is my story. And if that's how you're going to run your game, these are the themes I'm going to hit. And if you don't like it, don't play at my table. That's fine. But everyone at that table should be aware of what those themes are so they have the choice to leave that table before you start. If you don't want to change your story based around the comfort level of your players, fine. What's not fine is not giving those players that warning and them suddenly being ambushed or put into a panic attack or being faced with something in the fantasy setting that disrupts them from real life, that hits a little too close to home. And I think we've all been there. Or even playing a game and you and you say something, you do something, a moment happens, and one player takes it really hard. And after the fact, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I was dealing with this thing and it just reminded me of that. And so I just started to spiral and kind of get out of the game, which is the last thing we as GMs want. Yeah, we're here for the escapism and the, the fantastical whatever setting you're playing. Yeah. And we don't want to be brought back to the real world sooner than we have to be, but we certainly don't want to be slammed back into the real world. Yeah, exactly. Um, and reminded of, of, you know, some kind of trauma, some kind of hurt. And I agree. It's, it's, it's never happened to me, but I'm certainly more aware of it uh, since the whole world turned upside down in 2016. Right. So. <laughs> Which is why we don't talk about 2016. There are quite a few different tools if we're talking about playing your game at home versus playing a game at a convention, the simplest one that we use, and we use this at convention settings, is just the X card. And it's just a little slip of paper with an X on it. And you can either have it at the center of the table or you can give one to everybody. And as you're going through and playing through the story, if a topic comes up that someone doesn't want to deal with or a moment starts to happen, they tap the X card or they raise it. And whoever's talking just stops they go back to where they started that moment and they restate it. A great example of that is I was running a group of people through uh, a horror mystery where there was a creature that was going around and basically absorbing the bodies of people. And this person had a real phobia when it comes to body horror and just that kind of like the thing from not Fantastic Four, but from the old movie. Yeah, John Carpenter. Yeah, exactly. And so... I start to describe this creature absorbing someone and growing an extra arm and I see them like tap the card. And so I stop and I go back and I'm like, and the creature touches them and you see the person that they have touched starts to look like them. And so I just in that moment changed it so that instead of absorbing people and becoming like a one man army, it just started to turn the people into like-minded things. And that was enough of a shift to then make that person not have that kind of panicked reaction to what their mind's eye was creating. That's a really great example. And mm -hmm. a big part of tools like the X card and some others that we'll be covering here a little bit does require 
the GM to be more flexible yeah. with their story, with the scenario that they've created. I think we both, and, and Dan as well, though he doesn't run quite as much, are a lot more familiar with the idea of being willing to make those changes and to roll with the punches and to just kind of lay out a situation and react to what your players are doing rather than a more old school sort of here are the plot points yeah. and we're going to kind of illusion on rails sort of situation. Obviously, in a convention scenario, you need to be a little bit more focused than you would say at a home game, but you still, even in that kind of situation, need to be willing to adjust or adapt on the fly, you know, without doing anything dramatic. As simple as somebody who has, say, arachnophobia, which is a pretty common mm -hmm. reaction. And, you know, you've got a convention game that you might have created where you've got monstrous spiders or something, and somebody has that reaction to just reskin them. I mean, all of the stats can be the same, all of the other stuff can be, but you just reskin them into something that does not provoke that visceral reaction yeah. in your players. When you start dealing with the idea of having to make that midstream adjustment, that kind of gets into probably my favorite tool, which is lines and veils. It's something that you would do in your session zero, or you could even have your players fill out beforehand. But it's a list of things that you think might come up in the story, and whether it's famine, disease, death, violence, blood, gore, body horror, injury to eyes, injury to mouths. Like you never really know the kind of things that are going to hit people. And there is a pre-generated list out there that exists that I use um, whenever I run a game. And there are this, this list of things and then just uh, three squares. One is, I'm fine. One is, this is a veil. And the other one is, this is a line. And so a veil is something that if you allude to it or you fade away from it, I'm okay that, like, that it has happened in the story. I just don't necessarily want to go through it or discuss it. And then a line is something like, I don't want to deal with this whatsoever. I do not want this as part of the story for whatever reason. Because that's the big thing is that when you come down to these things that, you know, I hate using the word triggered because people have kind of turned it into a bad word, but anybody who has panic attacks, you know that it is a trigger. Something happens and you have an emotional reaction. You never know what those things are going to be for the other players. So you have this list, you can go through, and then you have those to look at as you write the story so you aren't forced to then try to shift the story as you're telling it. Yeah. And so it could be anything from... And, you know, in a situation where I'm preparing my scenario for Gen Con coming up here in a... Oh, geez, like six weeks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I don't have the opportunity really to have that preparation that I can do with the players that are going to be at my tables... But I know from experience, having done a lot of convention scenarios and having been gaming for a long time and playing with a lot of different people, what the most common issues are and either knowing to just avoid them or to have pre-planned in the back of my mind, if this turns out to be an issue for somebody at the table, here's how I might adjust things or, or change things. Yeah. What's really nice about the lines and veils too is 
I've been talking specifically about the negative things um, in the sense of things that people might have a phobia of. But it also covers things like player and NPC romance. Like, yeah, I'm okay with role-playing that with this game master. Or player and player romance. Like, no, I don't want to get in a romantic relationship with anybody else at the table. Or, yeah, I'm totally fine having that. Or do you want to deal with political intrigue? Do you want to deal with world events? Do you want to deal with brutality by people in power? It tells you a lot more than harm just Harm to what. children, harm to pets. Yeah. Yes, uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not just things that you might have a phobia of or have a, a visceral reaction to, but it's also things that, yeah, I do want to engage in this. Or, you know, this is a topic that the last three stories I've played involved this. I would love for it to be something else. Fair. I think uh, we might need to make a small example for, like, say, uh, a, a certain veil and a, a line, and just random examples are fine. Yeah. Uh, the packet here, the tabletop RPG safety toolkit, uh, one of the veils says basically this is the cut to, you know, fade to black behind the curtain. So it's the romantic comedy. You know, they're kissing, they're making out. You know, they're going to have sex, but they just wake up the next morning in the next room. Yeah. And you know what took place. We're just not talking about what took place. And so that's, that's an easy veil uh, people can figure out from a, a popular culture reference. Yeah. No, that's no, absolutely that's a great example. I think an important part of this, and one of the important aspects of safety tools in general, whatever ones you end up using, is to harp on the thing that I talk about a lot, especially when I'm answering questions on the show, is that <laughs> communication between the game master and the players, and that it is not just a one-time thing that you do in a session zero, but that it is an ongoing conversation, because things might come up that you didn't anticipate. Somebody might, in sort of that initial questionnaire, not realize that a particular topic might be a problem for them until it comes up. Things might change in their lives. Yeah, Something happens where I would have been okay with this before, but something's happened and now I don't really want to deal with it. And so that's an important part is that ongoing conversation. Yeah, the, the lines and veils sheet, um, you know, like in an ideal situation, you would have a Google Drive or whatever, and all the players fill out their lines and veil sheets. They put them in there, but they're living documents so that someone can go in, make a change. And if they don't want to talk about it, they can just ping the GM and say, oh, hey, I updated my lines and veils. And that's all the conversation that has to be had because we also don't want it to turn into a, oh, well, why? Like what happened? Or, you know, you don't want to have to justify why you don't want to deal with something. We we have enough of that in life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my favorite line from the safety toolkit was nobody owes you their trauma as an explanation. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for providing yours earlier in the show. But since we're having the adult conversation, this whole thing about communication all has to stem from a place of respect. You have to respect the game master. The game master has to respect you, the player. You're all here for the same purpose. And so if you can all agree to the rules, like you're playing the same sport, uh, then it, you know, it's no different than playing a sport. You're just sitting down and talking about it instead of actually running around chasing whatever gas-filled ball you're, you're trying to play with. <laughs> uh, but that's it. It has to be based upon mutual respect, first off, and to Josh's fantastic point, communication thereafter. Yeah. I have found over the last few months of my life that communication's a skill people are rapidly forgetting how to use. Yeah. <laughs> 
is there anything else? We've talked kind of a, like the the big ones, the the X card lines and veils. Are there any other tools that that you're familiar with? There are a couple that I really like that you brought up in the discussion you had a, a couple of months back, um, and they kind of get mentioned in the safety toolkit that that we've been kind of using as a reference for this. Any other like stories or or anecdotes that you might have about times that like unusual times that a um, a safety tool or something like that sort of came up in the course of a game that you were running. Yeah, you know, we talked earlier about the idea of trust, the idea of if you're going to go through the effort of trying to utilize these tools, it's really important to actually use them once you have them. Because um, I've been in a number of situations where someone wants to do a session zero and we take couple hours to make characters and then we fill out lines and veils. We may even have a conversation about like, hey, so what are topics that you you do and you don't want to hit? And then we get into the game and sure enough, one of them comes up and it's like, what happened? Like what, where, where did we misfire here? And, and, you know, I've heard the, the conversation of, like you said, you didn't want to deal with this thing. So I thought maybe just like a little of it would be fine. And it's like, well, no, that's not, this isn't an open dialogue and we want to make sure that everyone's being heard and that when we put these lines and these veils in place that they're not suggestions yeah it's kind of like being allergic to strawberries absolutely serving somebody a strawberry yeah it's like oh you're allergic to strawberries but isn't strawberry jam fine (laughs) yeah just 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 a spoonful yeah (laughs) that'll be fine as someone who lived with someone who had a very severe seafood allergy I completely sympathize and recognize the <laughs> appropriateness of that analogy. That's what I'm here for. I give good analogies. The other thing I like about the, the, the toolkit that we're referencing, and I think Josh will put this in the show notes as well, is that there are yes. safety things to do after the game is over. So it's not just session zero beforehand, and it's not just during the game. It's There's some things to do after it's over, you know, check in on your players, debrief a little bit, make sure everybody did have a good time. Um, something I came across a while ago is I started asking for feedback on what did you like? What didn't you like? Too much description, too little description, too gory a description, you know, things like that. And that's just when I was game mastering a lot more, it just helps me a tell a better story and B uh, make sure I didn't hit anybody in the wrong way. Um, cause yeah, 25 years ago, life was a lot less complicated. 25 years from that life's a whole lot more complicated and other things have been happening the last, I don't know, three years. So it's a little bit different. Well, I want to say that things aren't actually significantly more complicated than they were. We're just a lot more aware <laughs> than yeah. we used to be. Good point. People in marginalized communities of any sort we're facing the same sort of issues that they are facing now. It's just that after decades of them saying, hey, listen to us, these are issues that we're concerned with. Hey, these are important. Hey, give us some respect. More people are paying attention. Agreed. I was not aware of these sorts of issues 25, 30 years ago, back when I was you know, running Earthdawn regularly, but knowing that they are listening to other people's stories, their anecdotes, their experiences is incredibly important. And, you know, you either internalize that and strive to be a better person, a more inclusive person, mm-hmm. or you don't. Agreed. 
Yeah, the, the pond got bigger because now we have faster, more open communication. The internet is a beautiful thing and occasionally a toxic waste dump, but you know, it's two, two, <laughs> two sides of the same coin. <laughs> uh, so to your point, yeah, it's now we get to be more aware. Sometimes it is thrown in our face uh, and which is fine. I have no problem with that. That's the way the world works. Things occasionally will interrupt you from your rever from your uh, typical reverie and make you pay attention to something you hadn't thought of before as they should. Yeah. The term that they use in the kit for that sort of thing that you were talking about or kind of what I was alluding to a few minutes ago, which was they use the term stars and wishes, but I've heard a couple of other descriptions for it uh, in your sort of post-game uh, debriefing talking about cool moments that other people had, whether it was the game master or other players or whatever, but also talking about things that you want to see that you would like to continue exploring or specific things that you feel might be missing and that you want to look into. Those can be really handy as a positive experience, as a way of furthering that. You know, you did mention, Rev, a lot of the focus on safety tools, especially a lot of the criticism of them is the people who use them are looking to have a safe, I mean, yes, they are, but the presentation that they give it is a watered down, not real, like my little pony yeah. sixth grader kind of whatever. <laughs> when if you are in a situation where you have that trust and that conversation and that communication that's been going on, and if everybody is on the same page, you can actually, in some cases, even get darker and more serious oh. than you otherwise would because you know where those lines yeah. are. Mm -hmm. If everybody's on the same page of getting into that, especially when you're talking about horror games, the kind of stuff that you can get into, if everybody is into it and on that same page, you can get some really intense experiences without necessarily needing to be concerned about am I pushing unwittingly pushing somebody's boundaries in a way that they're not comfortable with you know it's hard starting a new thing if you're thinking about using safety tools at your table and you've never done it before anything new that you try especially in a setting like this can feel weird can feel clunky and the biggest thing I find is trying to make it just part of the conversation. Um, like I, I really like the, um, end of session stuff, but I personally don't like to do it at the table. I like to just reach out to the players individually after the fact and make it feel less like, okay, everybody. Now, what did you all think? What was good? What was bad? Because that also can be like something that people will then dread. Like, Oh, I don't want to, this is like when the teacher called on me in class, like everyone has to say something now. It's like, no, but I do want to check in with you and make sure that everything's okay. So we get done with the session. Everybody seems happy. Everybody goes home. And then the next day I ping somebody like, hey, this this scene was really good. How did, how did that feel? Is everything cool? Hey, yeah, that was a great time, et cetera, et cetera. And then on the front end, if you're running the games, you can also take some shortcuts in dealing with lines and veils by telling your players like, hey, welcome to my game here are things that you are never going to have to deal with in one of my games. I am never going to harm an animal. I'm never going to harm a child. And if there are slavers, they are irredeemable. So you do not have to worry about converting them. You can always kill them. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's the list I rattle off whenever I run a game so that people don't have to worry about those things. So instantly I've told them like, hey, here are things I don't like to deal with. Okay, so yeah. what about you? No, that's good. Lay, lay down the laws first. Yeah, and as the GM, there is a certain amount of responsibility for running the game, but also for setting an example. Yeah. If you as the GM are more open and expressive about using these things, your players are more likely to buy into that as well. It can be really awkward for a player who might want to to use these to bring them up if they don't feel like their game master is going to respect that request and what ultimately lies behind yeah, it. Yeah, because we run a lot of games at conventions, and, and this is not something I had ever thought of, but one of our players who, you know, all of our players in the podcast run games when we go to conventions. And one thing that Kim had mentioned to me that she does is that after she discusses everything with people, they start playing the game and she will use the X card on something that could be remotely upsetting in, in like the first five or 10 minutes just to get everybody the, the comfort of seeing it be done in use. Yeah. Which I think is, well, is incredibly smart. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very good tactic. And it's, if you remove yourself from the, from the line of, we're all doing this online now, or a lot of us are doing this online, some people may be getting back to doing it in person. You would set the same stage for people coming over to your house. You take your shoes off at the door. You, if you're going to smoke, you smoke outside. The bathroom's over this way. I'm just setting the scene for you so you know where to expect things. Same thing virtually. Here's what I'm not going to have. Here's what I am going to have. Problems with that? Let me know now. Take it from there. Yeah. Let's, if we could talk a little bit about bleed, which is a concept that gets brought up in the toolkit. You run a game with the crit show and some of the, the ancillary stuff that can be pretty dramatic and pretty intense, in part because a bunch of you are theater geeks and actually professional <laughs> performers. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think, part of the reason why the show is successful and why it's so engaging. Um, I mean, that's the case for, for any kind of professional or semi-professional actual play experience, having experienced performers and, and improvisers involved there. That still kind of brings in the idea of that line between your character and yourself as an individual, um, which is also something I know that you're familiar with from performance, from acting. Obviously, for those who are less thespian in their approach to things and maybe have a little bit of a harder divide between their player and their character. But the idea of the things that you're experiencing vicariously through your character can affect you. The way that you go out of a, that you may come out of a, of an intense, even successful session where you've got this big climactic battle at the end and you come out feeling pumped and excited the same way that you might if you're like coming out of watching a tight playoff game or something. Getting that experience and needing that time, that sort of depressurization. I remember back from my LARP days, as big a part of the experience as the game itself was the after game where everybody or many of the people involved would retreat to Denny's or some other local like 24-hour diner place and just kind of hang out and depressurize and talk about the game and have that kind of debrief. I know for myself, especially back in my LARP days, I 
actually really enjoyed that feeling, that bleed of getting what the character is experiencing and having that kind of vicarious thrill of this is really cool because I'm putting myself emotionally in a kind of simulation of something that I wouldn't otherwise experience. Yeah. And, you know, because you mentioned earlier that if you know the boundaries of your players and everybody has agreed to them and you're staying within those lines, you can get even darker and deeper moments because everyone's playing in a place that they know no one's going to intentionally or unintentionally do something against them. So there are some moments early on where um, in our podcast, uh, Tass and I, Tass is one of the players and I'm the GM and I'm in that moment being one of the NPCs and they get into a very tense argument. And I actually had to re-record some of the lines because you can hear when I talk into the microphone, you can hear my heartbeat in my chest because that's where we are in that moment. But there was never a moment of of like, oh, this is going to be unsafe. But you are. You're amped up in that moment. And so once that scene is done, you know, we take breaks in games, not just to stretch our legs, but sometimes you got to let a moment breathe. You got to shake stuff out. And so that bleed after the fact is something that, you know, you hugely see impact actors all the time in their performances. And I think people don't really take into account just how much performative skill, even if you think like, I'm just playing this guy and I don't really have a whole lot of depth to him as I sit down for the first time to play him, but you still have invested in him a little bit because you wrote the backstory and you picked these specific moves and you know enough about him to know that he's not a warrior, he's a weaponsmith because of the way he sees the weapons. And so you have this mentality behind the character And so you're hooked into them more than you realize. And so I think that fatigue of bleed hits way more people than we probably imagine because it seems like such a larger idea of, oh, you're so into the character that it's weighing you down or these high moments are are super high. It's like, well, no, I think that's happening to everyone on, on small levels in any game you play. It is. I immediately thought of the classic Dark Dungeons tract from, from Chick with uh, Blackleaf and the the nonsense story that is there of the girl who is so into her character that you die in the game, you die in real life, <laughs> which is ridiculous. We are aware of that, but just as a concept of how that impact, I mean, it's a persona that you create. It is something that sort of is a piece of you. It is in your mind and can affect you in ways that you aren't necessarily aware of. Yeah. Yeah, I missed the bleed afterwards as well. We would uh, always play on Sundays from like 3 to 8 p.m. And then there would be an hour to hour and a half conversation on the driveway, walking people to their car about whatever we just did and all the cool things and the roles and this and that. And I'm like, yeah, I miss all those. I kept my neighbors up, but I didn't really care at that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that's that's good bleed. Then there's the bad bleed uh, to Rez's uh, point. Uh, sorry, to Rev's point. Um, I saw a Z on the page and caught me off guard uh (laughs) which i'm trying to talk and read a word just throws everything together in a big old alphabet soup um no the bad bleed i've had players at the table where their character died not recoverable no savings no no nothing is bringing them back and there was some gentle ribbing after the fact which you kind of had to gauge how well they were taking it uh because they put hours 
days worth of hours into this character creation and the backstory and the, the, the connections that they had and all the memories. And that, you know, that tripped up some of my, some of my players for a good month or two. Cause they didn't know what kind of new character to make for the same game. They just said, can we play something else for a while? I can't remember yeah. making any, anything new in the same realm. It seems weird, but there's a kind of grief that can happen yeah. in that situation, particularly if you've got a character that you've been playing for a while and are invested in. You know, sometimes the dice just don't go your way and something happens and you need to deal with that mentally and emotionally. Agreed. I, I, I try not, not to play killer GM. I've got a friend who plays every Saturday and they seriously walk into the into the, the place with a stack of characters made up that don't even bother to have names because it's a meat grinder to them. And so it's just see if you can beat the the adventure. And you know, they're not as invested because, oh, that one's done, grab the new set of stats and play that guy. Yeah. And so that's not quite the same when you've you don't have the investment in name, backstory, and uh, things that they did. And other, you know, maybe maneuvers they were just with other people in the party. Yeah, if you just have a set of stats and, you know, this is character B, character C, character D, character E, whatever, it, you know, there's not quite the same but, level of investment. I mean, it's pretty clear where, where we all kind of stand in terms of our approaches to things. But oh, again, yeah. to kind of get back to our opening point, if everybody at the table is on the same page as that's the type of game that they are going to be playing, have fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Do your thing. Go for it. And that's, again, the, the grand thesis of this is the communication and making sure that everybody is on the same page and nobody is ambushed or caught off guard, even for something that might seem a little bit silly to experienced gamers in some regards. Some people get invested in their characters and don't like the thought of their character getting killed. That's yeah. something that needs to be discussed in a session zero which we haven't really talked about in depth, but one of those sort of opening things is how are we going to deal with player character mortality? Like how dangerous are things going to be? Are we going to be running a game where they are in danger, but player character death is only on the table in certain circumstances? And there's just a, a whole lot of terrain around there that can be negotiated and discussed and just kind of making sure that everybody is on the same page. And perhaps some people at the table have different lines with regards yeah. to that. Like I had a player in my game who didn't really have a problem with his characters dying through a fluke roll of the dice because one of the things that he loved more than anything was making new characters <laughs> and usually had three or four characters kind of ready to go at any moment. So if something happened, he wasn't hugely invested in them as a personality Whereas somebody else who was at the same table was like really into the ongoing story and narrative and character development and didn't want that to be interrupted by a freak die roll that kind of breaks the the narrative. It can become really difficult, too, when you're trying to tell a story and, you know, you've got these four party members and you have a, a bad instance with a boss and, you know, three of them die. Then you got to bring in three new characters and then that original character dies, so it's no longer the original group. And, well, what's our tie to this story? Why are we carrying on with this? Because anybody who is connected to the hook is gone. Very yeah. good point. Or you have a member of the group who is developing into a sort of linchpin, and then the player gets a job where teaching somewhere else, and you need to figure out yeah. what to do. <laughs> 
what's really important, you know, for me, the biggest thing about the safety tools about these conversations is, you know, we've talked about the importance of communication, but it's also just that level of trust because you're going to have the best games with the group of people you trust. And I think there's nothing worse in an RPG setting from my experience than that moment where you see a gaming group break up because trust is broken. You know, I've been a part of that where we were playing through like this two year long campaign. It was six books long. It was a pre-written thing. We get to the final boss and there's a party wipe and it was just like, okay, well, good night. And all the players were like, what, what do you mean? Well, well, you, you died. It's over. You know, whether it's because, you know, lines and veils weren't followed or, you know, in this instance, it was a situation where the things that the boss could do were read hastily and not done correctly whatsoever. But that group never got back together because we just spent literally two years together every weekend. And then when this moment happened, you just went, oh, well, goodbye. And that was such a heartbreaking moment and not having the ability to be like, wait a second, let's have a conversation about this because it was very much an environment of this is how I play. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That would rub me the wrong way too. (laughs) I'm reminded of a situation where we were playing a game of Ars Magica, which is a game that I really like have not had a chance to really play in a long-term game of it, which is a shame because it is kind of like Earthdawn, a game designed to be played over an extended campaign. My wife was playing a character in the game who took a flaw related to fairy pestering. It's sort of a medieval Europe thing, and, and a lot of the fairies and whatnot were in place. And one of the things that ended up happening is that there was a fairy character was introduced as sort of being the the pest that was bothering her character, but it was being played by other players at the table and were kind of using that opportunity to basically like harass uh. my wife and like being kind of, I've got this character that is sort of supposed to be annoying. I'm going to be sort of a jerk borderline sexual harassment kind of stuff Mm -hmm. that just very clearly made her uncomfortable, basically was completely turned off the game as a result of that experience. Fair. Something like that. That's the sort of thing that safety tools, that the X card, that all of this stuff is designed to prevent. And I think somebody whose reaction to hearing that story is, well, you know, she should have just toughed it out. It's like, why? Yeah. Why should she have to put up with an uncomfortable situation that is close to her own past issues or whatever in order to entertain the other person because the other people at the table are having fun. And I kind of put air quotes around that. You get somebody who either gets turned off to a particular game. Um, Fortunately, she had enough background in gaming in general and had other games that she enjoyed playing. But you might get somebody who's sitting down at the table for the first time and has an experience like that and never wants to pick up the dice again. Yeah. And if we want to talk about growing gaming as a hobby, especially if we're talking about expanding people into games besides D&D, which I think we are all in favor of, 
not that there's anything wrong with D&D, but just in general, that we don't want to give people experiences that make them think that games suck because the people who play them are rude and mean and don't respect them as people, as fellow players. Yeah, that's giving the gaming industry itself a black eye and you gave it to yourself. You've, you've ruined someone else's yeah. opinion of what you're, what the hobby you love. And that's a black eye. And I think it's also great that we're bringing up the toolkit. Uh, Cause I'm reminded now that I've almost always had a couple boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever in my players. And so it was always understood between the two of them that they could flirt with NPCs but they couldn't flirt with other people in the other players characters because that was off limits. That was just one of those things. Oh, okay. You two have that agreement. The rest of us didn't know that, but they would tell me afterwards because I was running that game. So I think that's uh, something that needs to be commented on more. If you do have those players or if one of those players is the game master and the player is their significant other, uh, that, you know, that, that discussion needs to happen as well. Yeah. Is there anything that comes to mind, Rev, that we haven't covered yet? We've had kind of a little bit of a wandering yeah. discussion here, but I think we've kind of hit all of the, the big points. Those are the best kind of discussions. <laughs> well, yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm having a hard time thinking of something that we haven't touched on, at least. The only thing I can think of, uh, based on the toolkit, is the audience as participant, as in if you are broadcasting your game. Yeah, actually, that's a good point where you have a podcast, um, which we will ask you to plug here before we wrap up. Yes, please. But you and your fellow cast members are doing a game as performance in a sense, especially as you've maybe become more aware of this as the years have gone on with your show. How, in a sense, do you approach these from the point of we are going to have not just the people at the table, but the people listening that are going to be facing this. Because I know we do have some people that dabble in actual play production or might be interested in doing that in the future. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because you can't possibly know all the things that might hit a listener. We have uh, put our podcast up as explicit. You know, we've listed it for fantasy violence and things like that. You know, the downside of that is that there are certain markets that our podcast simply won't appear in, but it feels kind of irresponsible to not market as explicit knowing the things that are in the show. So that's the simplest thing I think that you can do is have that honest conversation with yourself and your players and your, your producer, if it is someone different, is this explicit? Is there violence? Is there profanity? Is there description? Yeah. Graphic descriptions. And then the other thing you can do is trigger warnings, whether it's in the beginning of the episode or in your show notes. And that turns into a uh, task for either your producer or, you know, whoever is posting them online. But knowing that this episode is different because there's X, Y, and Z. So I should mention that in the notes of the show. Yeah, I actually noticed that because I've been working through your guys secondary stuff in the feed and just recently listened to the actual play of Starhold that you guys did. And you had an explicit content warning at the beginning of the stuff that the story was dealing with. And that was something that you have not had that was sort of as explicit in the, the regular yeah, show. Yeah, because that's so specifically 
you know, Monster of the Week can be cheesy and, and campy because it is along those lines of Buffy or Ash versus the Ever Dead or Supernatural or Twin Peaks. Just depends on how you play it. Yeah. And especially with the group that we're playing with, I'm not doing a whole lot of things that are really pushing anyone's boundaries when it comes to ick factor or like there are things that I described that I'm sure are uneasy. But this is a game that is specifically cramped spaces, low resources, and there's a monster here, there's an alien here, there is something here that wants you to die. It's a B-movie horror. Yes, exactly. And so for that game, it was like there's not going to be any moment of this four or five episode series that doesn't include one of these things. So we should just put it as part of the intro. It's it's the same thing as a... Uh, a language warning on, a, on, a, on an album or a movie rating or a comic book rating. The only thing that's not rating anymore, I think, are novels. So other than that, uh, <laughs> it's all it is, is just expect these things when you go in. This would be rated PG. This would be rated R. Take your pick. Go. Video game ratings. And also, I think uh, I'm going to bring this up in part because it's important, but also because it'll, it allows me to ask Rev to tell the story that I love. <laughs> and that is... The open door policy that you respect people's need to step away either a little bit from the table or to step away from the game entirely if they find even after a session zero in the various discussions that you've had that they find that the game is not working for them. Yeah. That you give people the opportunity and the freedom to do that respectfully. That brings to mind the story that you tell of the con game with the girl (laughs) playing the dragon. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, we set our games to be, I think they're it's set in the Gen Con thing for like PG-13 rating or like 14 and up. Yeah, I think it's like the 13 plus, 14 up, whatever the, their marker and is. And yeah. this guy comes in with his daughter and he's like, hey, my daughter is 11, but she really likes this kind of stuff. Is it okay if she plays in the game? And I was like, it, I mean, you're her father. If you're here with her at the game, but that's I have no problem with that. So they're doing this mystery where what they don't know yet is they're tracking down the Tooth Fairy uh, because I found a great prompt on Reddit that was a horror prompt that I just turned into a mystery that was the Tooth Fairy is real and they're collecting teeth for a reason. And I thought, well, that has to be a horror story. And so this creature had the ability to hit you. And when it did, it would knock a tooth loose and then it would snatch it. And it was trying to collect teeth. And this girl was playing a monstrous and she was half dragon and she described herself. She's like, oh, I've got these big, beautiful wings and I've got these big, shiny dragon teeth, you know, where she goes through and she does her whole description and they fight the creature for the first time. And as, as soon as it happens, one of the other players gets hit, a tooth falls out, the creature snags it. And she goes, did that creature just steal that guy's tooth? I said, yeah. She goes, okay. You see that hole in the wall? I said, yeah. She goes, I want to fly out of it. Oh, okay. How far do you want to fly? Until I can't see any of this anymore. <laughs> she removed herself from the story because she decided she was not willing to risk her beautiful dragon teeth. And so she sat there, still watching the story, participating in the conversation, but not being in the game. Had some snacks. And then a little bit later, the monster transformed it turned into the adult version of itself because it was a baby tooth and it turned into an adult tooth. And they're getting ready to kill it. And she goes, can I 
dive out of the sky and attack it? And I was like, absolutely. Like, have you been circling around this whole time just waiting for it to transform? She's like, yeah. So I, I can come back now? I was like, absolutely. I don't think anybody has a problem with that. And so she dove down and she got the final strike on the on the creature. And, you know, everyone at the table cheered for her. And it didn't hurt us in any way to accommodate for that player to let her leave when she felt uncomfortable and come back when she felt at ease again. Um, yeah, that's such a great moment. I'd like Good to fly story. away. I appreciate you How sharing far? that. Until I can't say any of this anymore. That has become a staple for us. Just in life, describing like when a situation is bad, one of us will just turn to the other one and go, you see that hole in the wall? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just about at our time, Rev. I appreciate you coming on the show. My pleasure. So why? Any closing thoughts? Just, just use them. I get it. You've been out, you've been playing games for 30 years and you think it's not for you, but I promise you, you're going to find some really cool players and tell some really cool stories that you won't be able to if you don't use these tools that help your story and your game and your table be more inclusive. To your point from the beginning of the show, you've already been doing this inside your own head. Now it's just time to bring it outside a little bit. Once again, Rev, thank you for coming on. Where can people find you? And your podcast. Yeah, so you can find me uh, on Twitter at Rev DeShane. You can find The Crit Show at The Crit Show literally anywhere. You can find our podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or you can go to thecritshowpodcast.com. We are currently on break. We've just finished our fourth season. And our story is, uh, it, like I said, it's in the tone of um, Ash versus the Evil Dead or Buffy or Supernatural. And also sliders because it uh, turns into a dimension hopping podcast where every dimension they jump to is a different powered by the apocalypse game. So it's all still within the same narrative, but you get to hear them play and subsequently learn different powered by the apocalypse games. Fantastic stuff. It's amazing. I am unusual in the crit show fandom that I did not come to it by getting exposed to the show. <laughs> Rev and I sort of passed each other online and I ran the game and joined in to sort of like be there to answer questions or whatever when my episodes went live and then started listening to the show and it's wonderful. I think it's it's great. Whenever new episodes drop, it is like high on my list of stuff to listen to. If you are into actual plays at all or you have been interested at all into exploring that space it's a great show to get into. It's horror, but it is like there's a lot of humor and drama, and it's it's the whole package. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, the players play as themselves, and so it's fun because you get to oh, know the yeah. players at the same time that you know the characters. It's a it's no, a great Josh group of people. No, did the 1879 uh, actual play. That was, and I heard the whole thing. That was a fantastic bit, and I loved every bit of it. I'm gonna go back and listen to him again because it was such fun. That is in their exclusive Patreon content. It's true. <laughs> what is it we say on the Twitch channel? The best dollar a month you'll ever spend? Yeah, and our, our main feed, that's how we, how Josh and I stumbled across each other is just on Twitter randomly. I was blah, 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 Earth Dawn. Yeah. And someone tagged Josh. <laughs> oh, no. I, nobody needed to tag me because I have a oh, custom that's search that right. tells me whenever somebody says Earth Dawn. You were talking about the Omniverse. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, I'll run Earth Dawn for you. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so our uh, our RSS feed, aside from our main show, 
Uh, we also have a bunch of Let's Plays that, you know, Evil Hat or Magpie, different groups have hired us to to make. So um, there's another dozen games on there that you can learn to play in uh, three to four hours. All of our episodes are an hour or less. Or you can go to their YouTube channel where they've got archived shows from the uh, the streamed games that they were doing sort of over the past year. Yeah, that's year. true. And actually, I'm pretty sure you guys archived the safety tools discussion yeah. that you had kind of towards the yeah. end of that. Because it affected one of I'll, the games uh, we were I'll playing. I'll find a link and drop that in the show notes as well. <laughs> yeah. Look at, yeah, I remember yeah. that. I was there. Look at Josh plugging the shows. <laughs> All right. Thank you again, Rev. As always, great to have you on. I, of course, will see you online quite a yeah. bit. And I will see you in person in like another it's month so and true. a half. There you go. Uh, Rev, absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks. And uh, look forward to all the questions we get on this. So if our listeners have any questions for you, we'll send them your way, but they need to email us at edsgpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, folks, it is time for you to go be safe with your own legend. Good night, everybody. 